0: I want you to think about a time that you've moved to a new place. You've arrived in a new home, a new city, maybe a new country, and you've relocated. What was it like that first day when you arrived there? And You're there, you're looking around, you're thinking, is this a mistake? Is it the right thing? How will I get on here? Will I thrive? Will I do okay? I remember when we first moved up here to Manchester. Uh, it had been quite a long time in the works. We known that... God was leading us in this direction and we had been living in London so I hired this van in London and we had stuff in about four different houses in different parts of London so all morning I'm driving around London I'm loading the van up by 11 o'clock so we'd be going from 6 till 11 just loading the van in London 11 o'clock get on the road drive up to Manchester mid-afternoon we arrive at our home by this time we're exhausted it's been a long old day And what do we find at our new house with this van load of stuff to unload, but Colin and Jamie waiting on our drive to help us, to help unload the van, to greet us, to make us welcome here. Thanks, Jamie. Uh, Actually, I didn't know Jamie at the time. I I met Colin a couple of times, but he, he just decided to take it upon himself to come and help us. And he brought Jamie with him. And I remember after that, after getting this extra help unloading, the van, what a difference that made and they invited us to some food, a barbecue that was coming up a couple of days later and that gave us that feeling of this is a good choice that we've made, we'll, we'll do fine here, there are people here, we're connected, we're not on our own in this place. Very different feeling to when I went to university for the first time. Uh, so uh, my parents dropped me off in my halls of residence, unloaded all my stuff into my room and I remember just sitting there in my room thinking, I've no idea how this is going to go. I'm on my own. I don't know anybody. My parents have driven back home now. I'm just in this place. What do I do next? And I remember that walk from my room into the shared kitchen with trepidation. What will the other people here be like? Will I have friends here? How will I get on? It can be a nervous thing, can't it? Go into a new place. Now, my situation in both of those instances was a little bit different to Ruth and Naomi's situation in the story that we're going to be looking at today. Because when they went to a new place, they went in very difficult circumstances. Both of them had lost their husbands. So uh, Ruth uh, was the daughter-in-law of Naomi. So Naomi's two sons and her husband had died over in Moab, where the family had relocated looking for food. And they were in a really hard economic situation. In that culture, it would be the men who brought money in. There wasn't kind of like social uh, funding for people who didn't have anything. They just wouldn't have been able to eat. So Naomi makes the really tough decision, I'm going to move back where I came from. I'm going to go home to Bethlehem as a widow and see if I can find any food there. Ruth, who's uh, from Moab, decides she's going to stay with her mother-in-law. Even though uh, her parents' house would have been in Moab, she'd have probably been okay there. out of loyalty for Naomi she decides to go but that situation as they arrive in Bethlehem just imagine the worry that's filling them how will we get on here will we be okay will we eat will we survive will we make friends how will life be in Moab maybe some of you have had moves like that where it's a desperate situation and you're just hoping somehow that God will get you through it then what makes or breaks it when you move to a new place is the people that you meet That that was the the case for us in Manchester, wasn't it? We met people, we found welcome, we found favour in the place. That changed everything. We're going to see in chapter 2 of Ruth today how they find favour. They meet someone in that place and the whole circumstances are changed as a result. So if you've got a Bible with you, please turn to Ruth chapter 2. It says this, now... Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, "'Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain "'after him in whose sight I shall find favor." She said to her, "'Go, my daughter.' So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the clan of Elimelech. Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. When you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favour in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How you left your father and mother and your native land and you came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you've done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord. For you've comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here. Then she beat out what she'd gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. She took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. Her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's talk about this man that we've been introduced to, the new character in the story Boaz. He's described as a worthy man, but let me give you a little bit Of background. We find out in verse one, first of all, that Boaz is related to Elimelech. That's an important detail in the story. It will become more important as the story goes on. But we see already at the start of this chapter, here's the extended support network that they ought to have been able to rely on from the start. If they hadn't moved to Moab, there would have been people in the family who they could connect to. Out in Moab, they were on their own, they were isolated, but now they're back. To a place with support. We also learn in verse three that Boaz was a landowner. So the way they did it that is, they had these like mahuṣi fields that everyone had their section of that they owned. And so when Ruth goes out into the field, she finds the bit of it that's Boaz's field. He was a landowner. He had some means. In fact, so much so. That he was an employer he had people working for him reaping his harvest so he employed these other people he was a guy who had some uh, means some wealth about him I think Boaz being part of this story is significant Because we've talked about this series as God's stories from the margins. We've been looking at unlikely people. Someone like Ruth, you wouldn't expect her to be at the centre of a story like this. Someone like Gideon from the smallest family, smallest tribe and clan. He was an insignificant person. You wouldn't expect him to be at the centre of a story like this. Boaz... Maybe you would expect it. Maybe he's more of the kind of predictable type, the noticeable type, the the, the sort of person who people pay attention to. I think it's, it's nice that he's in the story as well because what we're not saying is God only works with people in the margins. God works with people. He works with you. He works with me. People from all backgrounds, all walks of life. God can be at work in their life and he's at work here in Boaz's life. And this phrase that Boaz is a worthy man, it's an important one. That's what he's called and right in the first verse. Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. Have you ever been called a worthy man or a worthy woman? Has that word ever been used of you? What, what thoughts does that evoke? The original word, it's got kind of two different senses to it. One is strength. He's able to get stuff done and one is consistency, uh, he, he's stable, he'll, he'll keep going, he'll keep doing the right things no matter what, he's not kind of going to do the right thing one day but then go off the rails a bit, he's a steady, good guy. In fact, so much show that when Solomon built the temple, in the temple he had these huge pillars that were supporting the roof, he named one of the pillars in the temple Boaz, because that's what Boaz was like, he was a pillar, he was steady, he, he just had that strength and stability that made things right now we're not saying he was a perfect guy the bible tells us clearly all have sinned all have fallen short of the glory of god we're not trying to claim that for him but what we are saying is that he's a man who was worthy of respect worthy of trust worthy of imitation he's a good example people would uh, turn to their kids and say you see boaz be like him he's a good role model he's a person who had his house in order Don't know if you've ever met someone and you've described them by saying, yeah, they're great, but... And then there's something that comes after the but. It might be, that person's great, but they're a bit stingy with their cash. Or that person's really nice, but you don't want to cross them. They've got a bit of a temper to them. Or that person's great, but you don't want to talk to them after they've had a drink or two. They turn into a totally different person. Boaz didn't have a, that's great, but whatever he was just a worthy steady guy and when you meet people like this they create a feeling of safety don't they you feel all right around this kind of person you can see how for Ruth coming into a field owned by someone like Boaz made a big difference we also learn about Boaz that he's a man who honoured God now Ruth had gone into the field to glean and that's something that God had spoken about in Leviticus in the law that he had given this is what it says in leviticus 23 verse 22 this is an instruction to people who own land and it says when you reap the harvest of your land you shall not reap your field right up to its edge nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest you shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner i am the lord your god god's saying look when you're harvesting your field Don't get all of it, you know, don't go right to the edge, leave a bit at the edge and if you drop a bit just leave it there. It's good that there's some bits for those who don't have anything, make sure there's some supply for them. And this is what Boaz was doing. Now we learned a couple of weeks ago when we read chapter one, but the setting for this story is the time of the judges. Now, I don't know if you've read the book of Judges in the Bible. It's bleak. It's one of the most brutal books of the whole Bible. It doesn't look like many people at that time are keeping God's law, honouring God's ways. It's like every man for himself is what life was like at the time. But here in the middle of it, you've got this guy, Boaz, who is sincerely honouring what God said. That's an incredible thing. He's looking... To God we we also find out, uh, from the way Naomi talks at the end, like, "It's good stay in this field. Don't go into another field, lest you be assaulted." That, that phrase gives you a picture of what life was like in these fields. It was horrible, it was dangerous. It wasn't a nice situation. So to find a field like Boaz's, where an atmosphere of safety has been created, that's a big deal. Boaz was honoring God, and he was also looking, he was noticing how life was, I'm sure many of the landowners, they wouldn't have been paying attention to the people walking behind the reapers, trying to pick up uh, these gleanings, the people who were in danger. Boaz was noticing what was going on. So he paid attention to God. He also paid attention to people. Did you notice the relationship he's got with his workers? I think this is uh, kind of funny, but also uh, outstanding. Verse 4, it says, behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, He said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Any of you, when you go to work tomorrow, expect your interaction with your boss to go like that. Your boss greets you by saying, the Lord be with you. And you respond by saying, the Lord bless you. I mean, I work at a church and I don't even think that's going to happen. It seems different, doesn't it? Boaz seems a good boss. He doesn't seem like a a David Brent kind of boss who just wants to use the people working for him for his own good. He seems genuinely invested in them. He wants God's good for them. And he also asks after Ruth. He notices that Ruth is there. He notices that she's on her own. And he he says to someone, Who's this? What's her story? What's the deal with her? He notices the person who very few of the people would notice. I wonder who are the people in your life who who don't really get noticed. Maybe you interact with them often. Maybe it's the person who bags your shopping at the supermarket. Maybe it's uh, the same bus driver that you have day by day by day. Maybe it's someone who's homeless who you walk past on a regular basis. Do we notice these people? Do we ask after them? Do we know their story and know what they're about? That's the kind of man that Boaz was. And a character like this is supposed to be exemplary. It's okay to read the Bible and identify with characters and think, I want to be like that. Now, some of the characters, they're meant to point us to Jesus. Boaz definitely does that, and we'll come to that in a bit. But it's also okay to look and see, this is a life really well-lived in relationship with God. It's a picture of what can happen when someone is walking with God. It's meant to be an exemplary life. So you've got Boaz a worthy man. That's one of our main characters in this story. The other one we were introduced to a couple of weeks ago, and that's Ruth. And Ruth, if we can call Boaz a worthy man, we can call Ruth a worthy woman. In fact, if you skip ahead into chapter 3, verse 11, that exact word is used of her. The same word used of Boaz, that he's a worthy man, is used of Ruth, that she is a worthy woman. Now, I'm just going to be honest for a moment. I get a little bit annoyed sometimes. The way people treat the book of Ruth. You know, when when you're going to preach on something, one of the things you do is you you kind of read around, you see what other people are saying about it. I've been doing that about the book of Ruth, and so much of the stuff out there treats this story as a how-to of romance. It's a boy meets girl story. It's it's kind of a model for what relationships should look like. Uh, All the stuff on Ruth is about like, um, you know, how she's just there waiting for Boaz and ready for her Boaz to come along. And I'm like, really? Like, is that all that that you're seeing in this character? Ruth is an incredible woman. She's not just there waiting for Boaz to come and save the day. I love this character, Ruth. And in, in this chapter, what I particularly like about Ruth is the way she's making the best of the circumstances that she's in. Look, Ruth's in a tough bind. She's not in a situation that she would have chosen for herself. She's not in a situation that any of us would have chosen for ourselves. She's, she's in a foreign land. She's, her husband's died. She's got uh, no money. She's struggling for food. She's got uh, her mother-in-law to provide for. Her, her friends are miles away. It's a difficult situation that she's in. How do you respond to a situation like that? It'd be easy, wouldn't it, to go in on herself and despair and, uh, and just kind of withdraw from life. It'd be easy to look for someone to blame, to, to lash out, maybe even to lash out at God for the situation that she's in. But that's not what she's doing. She's out in the field. She's, she's availing herself of this law that's there, the law that says you can go and pick up these little bits of gleaning. She's like, okay, well... I might not be able to do much, but I can do that. I can bring in something to eat. We'll we'll be okay. We'll have some food on the table if I do that. It meant hard work. It meant lonely work. It even meant risky work for her. And yet she's availing herself of what is there before her. I think this is really important because in life we all face different circumstances don't we and often our circumstances might not be what we'd have chosen if we'd have been mapping out what our life will look like it might not always include the things that we actually have to go through but in those moments then there's a need to faithfully do the things that need doing that's how it is In those moments. You know, when you read the New Testament, so much of it is written to people whose circumstances are not great. A lot of it's written to slaves or people who are poor or people who are being persecuted. And yet the call is to faithfully walk for Christ, whatever is going on. I don't know if any of you saw uh, Feeding Britain's Children, um, a documentary about Marcus Rashford and the work that he's been doing, getting meals to, to poor school kids. And obviously, a lot of that for him comes from his own background. Growing up, he didn't have much. Often, there wasn't food on the table. And w- one of the people who they spoke to one. It was his mum, Melanie Maynard, she's called. and um, You hear the story of how she'd be working hard. and She'd put food on the table for her three boys. And sometimes they'd say to her, what about yours? Where's your food? And she'd be oh, yeah, yeah I've, eat, I've eaten already. Uh, so that they had some. And they didn't know that she was going without to feed them. And one of the quotes that she said on there is, I had three jobs. And if I didn't do that, we wouldn't have been able to cook. A pot of food. It's just a bit difficult. You see in Melanie Maynard, there's a story there of someone in really tough circumstances. And what's she doing? She's doing what needs to be done in those hard circumstances. Just like Ruth is doing here in this chapter. And, And Ruth was faithful. Not only in the moment she made this big proclamation to Naomi. I will go with you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God but also in the outworking of it, the day by day. You know, it's easy to make that proclamation. I'm going to do this. But it's hard, isn't it, on day two, day ten, day 100, of just faithfully, unglamorously doing the thing. And that's what she does. So what we've got here is a worthy man who's in an enfranchised position. He's got uh, power, he's got influence, he's got means. You've got a worthy woman who's living on the margins of society, literally the margins of the field, gleaning. And because both of them are living to honour God, and because Boaz is paying attention to what's going on at the margins, we see in this chapter that Ruth finds favour. That's the phrase that's used. She finds favour. You see, this story, it's not a romance story, at least not yet. Whoever's preaching on chapter 3 gets that bit of it. That's to come. But this is a story about finding favour. And there's an interesting interplay that goes on in the chapter because it seems like as Ruth is finding favour with Boaz, that's intertwined with her finding favour with God. She finds favour with Boaz and also with God. If you look at verse 12 and 13, you'll see this. Um, Boaz says, "'You came to take refuge under the Lord's wings,' And Ruth replies, I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord. This taking refuge under God's wings, how is that worked out? Well, often the way finding favour with God is worked out is through his people, through somebody being God's Representative On that drive back home to London from Manchester, I had to get this hire van back to London by midnight. And I remember setting off back from Manchester at uh, about quarter past eight, thinking this is going to be tight. And I got into the bay in London at 11.57. Uh, and like the whole day had been flat out. But I remember on that journey back, my heart was full because I knew we'd found favour. Not just with people, not just that there was a community for us, up in Manchester. But actually God's hand was on it and we found favour with God as well. I see in this chapter three elements of what it means to find favour. And the first one is that there's a welcome. There's a welcome. Do you see in verse 8 there's an invitation isn't there to glean in his field. He says I want you to stay in this field. What Boaz is communicating to Ruth is that you are welcome and you are wanted in this place. That's a significant thing to say. Remember when Sam was little I used to take him to uh, different parent and talk groups and I went to one of them uh, and, and I went and we had a good time, Sam played uh, and I thought this is great, I'll come back here next week. I went back there the second week and I'd been there for 20 minutes or so and one of the volunteers came up to me and she started talking to me uh, and, and she said to me, is this your first time here? I said, it's not actually, I've been before. And she said, oh, right, I don't need to talk to you then. And she walked away. <laughs> and I was stunned. Like that. It made me feel so small. It made me feel so insignificant. Because what he said to me is, you don't really matter. She, she'd probably been briefed beforehand. Like if, if it's someone's first time, make sure you talk to them. But the way it made me feel was awful. I come across statistics sometimes about international students who come to study in the UK. And over half of international students who come to the UK say they do their three years in the UK without ever having a meaningful conversation with a British person. And without ever being invited to the home of a British person. I mean, it must be even more so now everything's online, but even in non-COVID times... That's staggering, isn't it, that you can be in a place and let to feel this sense of, am I really welcome? Am I really wanted? Over the last year as a church, people have joined here at CCM Kingsway. Uh, and I haven't had the opportunity in every case just to say, welcome, you are wanted here, but you are, let me say it now. You are welcome, we're glad you're part of this church. This is a place where you belong. We love having you here. You know, in Boaz's actions, there is the heart of God. And I wonder if part of why we see it so clearly in Boaz is because Boaz has seen it in his own family. When we read the genealogies later on, uh, do you know who Boaz's mum is? It says that Boaz is the son of Rahab. Rahab was an outsider who was welcomed into the people of God. Maybe that's why he's got such a keen eye for this Moabite on the margins. God can use the experiences that we have on the margins to shape and form us to see and serve others who are in that place. And of course all of these pictures speak of the welcome that we have in Christ. A few weeks ago Colin was preaching on the parable of the lost sheep and when that sheep is found there's this great party there's a celebration god's welcoming us home colin then got a bit distracted and started going on about his birthday party and his international barbecue he wants to have but he sounded great and if that's a picture of the welcome god has for us i want a piece of that god welcomes us in doesn't he that's part of what it is to find favor here's another part that we see there's protection boaz wants to protect ruth he wants to make sure she's okay he says to her Don't go into another field because it could be dangerous there. Stay here. He says to her also, stay near the young women, the safety of the crowd here. Don't be on your own in the field. There's a group here. You can join them. And he says, I've had a word with the young men in this field as well. They're not going to get up to any mischief. You know, I've warned them off. You'll be fine. And when you're thirsty, when when you need sustenance, go get some of the water. We've reflected a bit on how vulnerable Ruth's position was and Boaz he sees it he gets it he recognizes the position that she's in and he's doing what he can to make it safer and create a protected space for her this is so provocative of our own actions the number of conversations I've had over the last year a couple of years where I've been hearing people's stories about how they can be made to feel unwelcome or unsafe or difficult through through various reasons, sometimes to do with race or gender and the way our society is constructed, sometimes to do with personal circumstances. But isn't it provocative that Boaz sees the circumstances of Ruth and he does what he can to make sure she feels safe? Again, we see something of God in this. Verse 12, Boaz saying to Ruth, "'The Lord repay you for what you've done. "'A full reward be given to you by the Lord.'" under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I love that picture of taking refuge under the wings of God. Do you know how powerful a wing can be? My auntie used to own geese. and One time, uh, the geese had laid eggs. Uh, and They'd been for a walk up to the other end of the field. Uh, and my auntie saw her opportunity. She said, I'm just going to have a look at these little geese eggs. No harm meant at all. She just wanted to have a look. But the goose had doubled back on itself. And noticed my auntie going into the eggs, and it wanted to protect these eggs that it was due to guard. So the goose backed my auntie against a wall, and it used its wing on her leg as a club. And the bruising on that was unreal. I've never seen anything quite like it. There is power in the wing uh, of one who wants to protect. And obviously, the goose's instinct is, is wanting to protect its young. But that's the image, isn't it? We've got protection under the mighty wing of the Lord God. And there's plenty of biblical images that speak of God as our protector. The Bible says God is our shield. He's our refuge. He's our high tower. One of the names of God in the Bible is Jehovah Roy, God who protects. You know that nothing can happen to you outside God's sovereign control you read the book of Job and all these things are happening to Job but in it there, there's this dialogue and, and like the, the accuser saying to God but what about this but what about this and, and nothing can happen without God so but I'm going to put a hedge around Job but you, you, you can't do this and this bit's protected God is a protector there and you know that ultimately nothing can eternally harm you if you're a child of God nothing can eternally harm you Romans 8 Verses 38 and 39 says, I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, not anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord God has set his love on us eternally he's promised us an eternity with him and he is protecting us with his powerful wing. nothing can separate us from that nothing can cut us off nothing can do us ultimate eternal harm isn't that a glorious truth so we see welcome we see protection and the third element of finding favour we see here is provision you see boaz feeds ruth and we spoke about this a few weeks ago in our mission series didn't we how inviting someone for food is a powerful way of bestowing favor ruth got to sit with the reapers and, and eat with them she she was invited to a table that wasn't rightfully hers i used to do some jo- some jobs as a waiter like event catering and one of them I did a Chelsea Pensioners event. It it was outstanding. There there were two of us who were um, kind of serving the food and there were 16 Chelsea Pensioners there. But they bought enough food for 18. Uh, And what they said to us when we got there is, "Look, look, we're hiring you to work, but we want you to fetch the starters for us and then there's two more. Put them at the end of the table, sit down, and you guys eat them as well. And when you're done and when we're done, Clear it, bring the main course. Like there's two more main courses for you as well. And, and they'd invited us into their table. It was brilliant. Even the cheese course, even the port, everything. Like They, they were including us in this. Thing. It wasn't where we belonged, but we'd been invited in. Ruth had been invited into a table that wasn't her table. And isn't this a picture of the great banquet in heaven? God's glorious messianic banquet. We've been invited in. We get to sit at the table and dine with him. After dinner Ruth went out and gleaned uh, and Boaz had said to the guys, look let her go not just to the edges but let her kind of weave in and out of the sheaves and glean there as well. Oh and don't make it just the bits you accidentally drop, kind of accidentally on purpose, drop some more bits, make sure there's loads for her to glean. She ends up going home with an ether of barley which is 22 litres of barley That sounds pretty heavy, doesn't it? You know, like when when you get home from the supermarket with loads of heavy shopping bags trying to get them on. She's got this ether of barley and she also takes a doggy bag home of leftover food for Naomi. Boaz is abundantly provided. You see, Ruth has found favour. Again, this is a picture of the favour that we have found with God, that we can pray, give us this day our daily bread in faith that he will. That Jesus can say, seek first the kingdom And all these things will be added to you. I love that story we heard from Mikau the other week about how God had provided in that financial way. God is our provider. We've not really talked about Naomi much today. I want to wrap up just by looking at her situation. Because last time, where did we leave her? We left her in a bitter, desperate place. She was saying, don't even call me Naomi. Call me bitter. The Lord has turned everything against me that was what was going on in her heart but by the end of this chapter it's very different here's what she says in verse 20 may he be blessed by the lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead she's a changed woman and what's changed in naomi is simple she knows that she's found the favor of god i want you to know this church whatever your circumstances are, whatever's not gone your way and whatever feelings of hurt or bitterness or resentment that's thrown up in your heart, let me tell you this, that is not the end of the story. It doesn't end there. It didn't end there for Naomi. Better is possible because God's favour is on you. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to know this morning, God's favour is on you. God's favour is on you. God's favour is on you. Do you know that? God, the almighty God, has bestowed his hand a favour on you. That changes everything. And whether you're from the margins like Ruth, whether you're from the centre like Boaz, if you're living with God's favour on you, then everything changes, doesn't it? That we can know we're welcomed in, we're protected, we're provided for. We can know with God's favour.